Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Good evening and salutations or something along those lines. First off, before we get started, I want to apologize for being a day late on this episode. This week was just jam-packed with different things. Shooting Season 2 of Paranormal Caught on Camera, shipping out cryptic crates, the brand new Patreon, just all kind of got ahead of me. But the good news is, I'm here bright and early on Friday morning recording. So we're going to have this thing out in time for your evening commute. Now I have an amazing show lined up for you this evening. We have a few heavy-hitting cryptids to share. And even maybe a visit from our friends, the Mirrored Men. So without further hesitation, let's get into tonight's programming. So to kick things off, we're going to jump over to Eric in my state of California. Hey Derek, this is Eric. I've called in before and thank you for sharing uh, what I left a message about on your show. I'm driving by uh, Redlands and Palm Springs desert area, so figured I'd throw on the show and uh, I heard some stuff about mirrored men, and I realized that I may have had an experience uh, secondhand. So it was around uh, May 2011 or 2012. I was in Fiji in the South Pacific um, in a very uh, rural part, not very luxurious or anything like that. I was there with a bunch of college students, three of them that I was pretty close with. Uh, you know, I think they were like the cool kids. You know, they were out and about after dark when most of us were in our... Uh, you know, getting ready for bed and stuff. But they came back upstairs to the facilities we were at, two-story place, a little clinic, medical clinic on the first floor, and then a couple of rooms up top to house us all. And uh, they were freaked out. They were they were really scared. And uh, they were kind of just buzzing. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, these three guys just came up to us, you know, these three things. Like I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, I'm like, are you talking about Fijian men? You know, like, they're black people uh, with darker skin. Are you talking about that? And they were like, no, like, just three things. And we went on this whole conversation about extraterrestrials, but they were pretty freaked out. They didn't really want to talk about it too much because apparently just three male-looking humanoid figures uh, came out of this uh, Fijian jungle. There was a clearing behind where we were staying. And I guess approached them. Uh, no words were said, but they were definitely shaken up. 
And another uh, instance I've had more recently here on the 4th of July, uh, which I know dogs get paranoid with uh, the fireworks and stuff. Ironically enough, my dog is a rescue and suffers from anxiety 100% of 99% of the time, but that 1% is on 4th of July, and the fireworks simply don't bother him. Uh, so we spent the day at the beach with family, and we get back uh, about two hours inland in California, and I get to my home where him and I live alone, and uh, we're in bed. The lights are on, and I'm getting ready to turn them off, but my dog starts crying. He starts whimpering, like, and he's looking at the ceiling. His eyes are darting back and forth, back and forth. And I had felt uneasy upon coming home and just being home. I thought it was maybe from the coffee I drank um, for the road trip. But I realized, no, I've had a feeling like this before uh, when an object actually was kind of thrown at me, slammed at me. But it's been several years. And I guess I have to start listening to my intuition because my dog's intuition, uh, I mean, his eyes, the way he was crying, it didn't make any sense. I mean, I wasn't seeing anything. However, I did notice it seemed like there was like a static haze uh, moving around my apartment. And so, needless to say, I grabbed my Bible, started reading and uh, out loud, and I prayed over my dog. And eventually, I mean, after about an hour, I mean, my dog was freaked out, and that kind of made me upset. I just got authoritarian, and I asked whatever it was. I told it it wasn't welcome and that it had to leave. And within a 60 seconds, this huge feeling of relief came over me. And uh, my dog as well was able to settle down. So I know there's been earthquakes. There was two, uh, 4th of July and the day after. I don't think it was anything like that. The house wasn't rumbling to me. Maybe it was an aftershock or something. But uh, even during the earthquakes, that's not how my dog reacts. So I know their magnetic field is pretty strong and things like that. Probably sensitive to things. But I also believe he's pretty sensitive to the paranormal. And I really did not appreciate something like that being in my house. I'd been gone for about three days. Uh, but who knows, maybe my neighbors in the apartment building, you know, had brought something home, which I feel like I've experienced before as well. But grateful to have my pup, and that was my marathon experience as well, going down in Fiji, South Pacific. Love the show. Keep doing what you're doing, and congratulations on your uh, marriage, man. Congrats. All right, bye. Thank you, Eric. Now, for those that aren't familiar, the Mirrored Men is a phenomenon that we uncovered on this very show. They're described as always seen in threes. They're typically dressed in older or outdated clothing. Their faces strange, stretched out, exaggerated. And here's the kicker. If you see the Mirrored Men, there's a good chance they will steal a considerable amount of time from you. Some victims have claimed that hours have passed by in mere seconds. And these things always seem to be seen in rural places, outside of town. I'm not sure if there's any connection there, but it seems to be the trend. So it's impossible to say if what Eric's friends experienced was in fact a mirrored men encounter. We have discussed a case in Australia that seemed to describe the mirrored men, so it's not unheard of to see them overseas. But again, here we are, left with more questions than answers. But thank you, Eric, for dropping at least a few more clues. Now, our next story of the evening comes to us from Cassidy in the Empire State. I 
Hi, Derek. This is Cassidy from New York City. This is a story that happened just a little over a year ago. My wife and I were recently married uh, in June of last year, and we went on a honeymoon to Scotland, England, and Wales. It was 32 days long road trip. We rented a car, and uh, for the most part, we just stayed in small little villages and went to local pubs and just tried to have an authentic British Isles experience. About a week into our honeymoon, we used the website Atlas Obscura a lot to try and find unusual things off the beaten path, not touristy things. And um, we were driving from Perth uh, down to Northumberland. So we we're exiting Scotland and heading down to Northern England. And on the way, we were going to go through Edinburgh. And just north of Edinburgh is a village called Guildford in East Lothian. Uh, this is Stone, Scotland. And we heard about something called the Goblin Ha. Uh, which is short for hall, the Goblin Hall, but they call it the Goblin Ha. Um, we love folklore. We love elves and fairies. And, and since we were in sort of the birthplace of that tradition, we thought we should go. We go down this road. Uh, it's very, very rural. It's one of these roads that is so small that if another oncoming car approaches, you have to pull over to let them pass. We see a sign that says, Yester Castle, which is where the Goblin Hall is. It's a part of the, it's this old abandoned castle, apparently. We didn't know much about it, except that the word goblin was in it. And it says, if you're here for the Yester Castle, no parking, park around the corner. We go around the corner and we sort of, we're in the middle of fields and a couple of woods and sort of horse stables and nothing's really clearly marked. We don't see a castle anywhere and we're kind of wandering around. We, we meet this Scottish couple, like heavily tattooed, and they have a young baby, they're both smoking cigarettes, they're kind of rough, but very friendly, we couldn't understand a single word they were saying, everything was like, a you know, very thick Scottish bro, but they were also looking for the castle. Um, we sort of wander off together, we cross over this field, uh, over this old stone wall, and we're wandering through a golf course, and we don't find it, we don't think we're going to find it at all, and um, there's a little patch of woods that we go through. We wander through some thistles and nettles, and we see in the distance a wall of stone. We come around the corner and we see this sort of like archway that we think is the Goblin Hall, and um, we found it. We keep wandering, and in the distance we see this massive wall and a small trail that goes down that almost looks like a moat, like a trench. And at the very bottom is this old iron gate. So I wandered down, and it's very spooky. This little tiny, like, moat or gate is covered in cobwebs. And I get out my camera. I have one of those, sort of like a, it's a Canon Rebel T3, so it has a bright flash. I hold it up to the iron gate, you know, there's the little holes, and I flash. And it illuminates this massive subterranean hall which is apparently what they call the Goblin Ha. We can't get in. It's, it's gated off with these old, I mean, centuries, centuries old iron gates. It's really spooky. There's a really eerie sensation and atmosphere there. We go up. We sort of wander around the, this massive wall. And my wife notices a little tiny trail that sort of creeps around the other way. We follow it down and we see an iron gate that has been ripped off and a small opening. Um, I thought it was a moat, but it was an opening that has just sort of been filled in with enough earth that in order to enter it, you sort of need to get on your hands and knees. 
and it's a archway that leads into a long tunnel. I get on my hands and knees. I don't have a flashlight, but I use the flash on my Rebel T3 to illuminate the way. So I'm crawling on my hands and knees and flashing as quickly as I can. It takes a little bit to regenerate that flash. And it's about 25 feet of pitch darkness and just cobwebs sort of on our hands and knees until we get into the subterranean Goblin Hall. And it's massive. It's at least 75 feet long. It's very eerie. My hair is standing up on end and uh, my wife finally like, I, you know, I think we should get going. As we turn to leave, we notice in the corner, far corner, as we're looking at the pictures, there appears to be another doorway. I keep flashing and I sort of wander, stumble into the corner and I see a doorway that leads to a set of stairs that go even further down into the earth. My wife pleads with me not to go down, but I'm completely stubborn, so I have to go down. The stairs are rounded and crooked, so they're very treacherous, but I keep flashing and taking a step, flashing, sort of seeing what's before me and taking a step. And I wander down about 15 steps, and I'm, it's going deeper and deeper, and it's getting colder and colder and colder. Until, after about 15, maybe 20 steps down, I take a flash, and I see a pool of thick like fog sort of at the bottom of the stairs and sort of rubble at the bottom of the stairs. I take another flash and I see the fog is about halfway up the stairs. I take another flash and this thick fog is around my face and sort of all over me. And it looks like like dry ice, like fog. It's that heavy. I flip out, turn around and sort of stumble, run up the stairs, just flashing my camera as quickly as possible. I tell my wife, just run, run, run. We, we run to the end of the hall, we get on our hands and knees and just sort of charge out from underneath that passageway. And we are spooked. My hair is standing up, I feel shaky, and we get back in the car, we drive to where we're staying in England, it's about a two hour drive, and the whole time we're just kind of shaky. I get on my computer when we, once we get Wi-Fi, and I look up where the heck it was that we went, and I find the Wikipedia page, and I'm reading it right from Wikipedia, Yester Castle, the only remaining complete structure is the subterranean Goblin Ha, or Hobgoblin Ha. It was built, it's believed, in 1267. It was given to the family uh, by King David I. So it's been abandoned since about the 16th century, but this is what I really wanted to read, The Wizard of Yester. Sir Hugo de Gifford was the known Wizard of Yester and was considered to be a powerful warlock and necromancer. It is the, in the undercroft of the castle where he was said to practice his sorcery, which is the stairs where I was heading down. 15th century chronicler uh, mentions a large cavern in the Yester Castle, which I thought to have been formed by a magical artifice. Quote, Hugo Gifford, um, uh, so this is in Latin, but it translates to, he supposedly made a pact with the devil to raise a magical army of goblins or hobgoblins to build this castle. And further research revealed that apparently it is the most, uh, the scariest place to visit in Scotland. And we had no idea, but that's my story. Uh, I love the podcast and uh, thank you for doing what you do. Thanks, Cassidy. The story was a lot of fun, especially when you watch a video about this mysterious place, a link to which can be found in the show notes for tonight's episode. As for the actual experience... I'm sure that places like Yester Castle have cooler pockets of air settled in its lowest points. Perhaps Cassidy's breath and or body heat reacted with this colder pocket of cool, moist air and created some sort of fog. 
or missed. I'll be completely upfront here. I'm not 100% sure that that's really how that works, so take that theory with a grain of salt. But then again, he's in a building, abandoned since the 1500s. A castle that was claimed to have been built by none other than goblins. So perhaps his experience falls squarely on the shoulders of the supernatural. Thank you again, Cassidy, for not only sharing your story, but exploring this creepy place for us. Now our next story of the evening comes to us from the state of Maine. The following is Mary's Call. Hi, Derek. This is Mary. I'm from southern Maine. I love your podcast. I've only gotten into it recently, but it has been my new addiction. And I thought that I would share a story that is not my story. It was my mother's story, but it's about me. So I have to give a little bit of backstory for anything to make sense. My mother was from New York, and her parents were immigrants from Ireland. Um, I never met my grandparents. They died about five years before I was born. My grandfather was a chiropractor, and he wore these big, huge, round glasses. And my mom said that all of her patients and friends used to call him the wizard. So this story that my mother told me happens in western Maine, where I grew up. And I guess it was about somewhere between the ages of two and four years old. And my mother and I are going upstairs to go to bed. And on the stairs, my mom had put a lot of pictures of family members and events and things like that. And keep in mind, I'm like, I'm a little, little, little kid. I don't know anybody in these pictures. If I did, I'm too young to retain it. I don't know anything about my grandparents. I never heard their voice. I didn't know them. And we're going up the stairs, and there's a picture of my great-aunt's wedding and this great aunt was my grandfather's sister and actually my middle name is charlotte and i'm named after her so my mother said that i little two three four year old i turn and i look at the picture and i turn back around and i look at my mother and my eyes are huge and wide and I say in a thick Irish brogue, which I'm not going to replicate because I, I still can't do it. Apparently, I looked at her and I said, ah, Shuren, wasn't that a long time ago? And I said it like very sage, very calm. And my mom's just like, what? And then apparently I just turned right back around and I didn't even reference it. And she like chased after me and she was like, what was that? What was that? What was that? Um, I, she couldn't explain it. She... Uh, she really only told me the story like one time. My mother was not the kind of person who would lie about this sort of thing or make up a story for attention or anything like that. I, I honestly genuinely believe this. And my family's always had kind of a connection with the paranormal. And she always used to claim that we had family members who would visit us on occasion. And I think that in this situation, it was just uh, my grandfather visiting. And I have a couple more stories like of family members visiting and other just strange things that happened both in Maine and New York. So I'll definitely be calling back with some of those. And uh, I just want to say thank you for the show. I think that it's 
opened up a community for people to actually feel safe and comfortable telling these stories in a non-judgmental way. And I definitely love it and will be listening to it. Um, have a great day. Thanks, Mary. This one reminds me of the little boy that passed the cemetery and told his father that he saw a bunch of people standing around. Oh, if I remember correctly, this was one of those cemeteries where the stones are flush with the grass. So I believe it was even difficult for the child to realize that it was a cemetery. To me, that combination of information is downright terrifying. But we have heard about cases like Mary's before, where a child repeats something that they could not have known, in a voice that they don't own, and in a manner more fitting for an adult. Which leads me to the question I kept asking myself each time I listened to Mary's call. Was she momentarily possessed by her great aunt's spirit? Or was she somehow coached by that spirit to repeat the line? Or is it possible that she is somehow her aunt reincarnated? It almost seems to be a combination of, or at least one of these scenarios. Either that or Mary simply had an amazing imagination. Thanks again, Mary, for taking the time to share. Up next, we hear from Brett in my home state of Ohio. Uh, my name is Brett. I'm from southern Ohio. It's happened about 2005. I was like kind of a bum. I mean, I was in college, but I scheduled my classes till later in the day. So I got up about noon. Sunny day. It's fantastic outside and uh my parents house is out in the woods about a quarter mile driveway there's nobody else around um just there's these two french doors in front of the kitchen table and that's where i decided to eat my breakfast i'm just standing out there looking out in the woods and all of a sudden there's this uh bright light it looks like um all i can describe it as if somebody was holding a flashlight and making big circles with it and then it just took off, and I was like, man, that's weird. You know what I mean? What What is that? And I didn't think anything of it, and it wasn't even four or five seconds later. It came back, started doing these big circles. I was getting kind of scared. I didn't, I didn't know what it was. There's nobody else around. It's just a random light. And it takes off again real quick. I don't know where it goes every time. It takes off somewhere, and it comes back, does more circles. And then it takes off for the last time, and I'm just sitting there. I didn't know if it was coming back. I didn't know what to do, and I was afraid to go outside. And I finally gathered the courage to go out there, and where I'd been doing circles, as soon as I touched my foot out into the leaves of the forest to make a noise, two big bucks jump up right where that light was. And I don't know what it was doing, if it was looking at the deer, if it took the deer and brought him back I have no idea what that light was and that's my story thank you thanks Brett okay I need everyone to slip on their tinfoil hats for just a second I have a crazy theory here now some witnesses and researchers claim that Sasquatch has the ability to create light or is somehow accompanied by light not just any light Small glowing balls of light, often blue in color. Now, I'm not here to explain that phenomenon. I simply can't. 
but here's what I did think. What if Sasquatch was hunting deer? A reported food source for the creature. And part of their hunting strategy somehow involves these little blue lights. Perhaps Brett was merely a witness to a failed Sasquatch hunt, which could explain why the deer were hiding nearby the area. I realize this is far-fetched, but sometimes you have to throw some wild stuff out there, simply to see what sticks. Okay, you can take off your tinfoil hats now. Thank you again, Brett, and I know Ohio is a Bigfoot hotspot, so maybe check the BFRO website to see if encounters are especially high in your area. And if you live where I think you do, I can confirm it as one of the most often reported sighting areas. Thanks again for sharing. Now before I get to the last couple calls of the evening, I need to iron out a few of these details. As promised, the mugs are here. If you're a coffee drinker, tea drinker, or just like coffee mugs, head over to MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com and click on the Shop tab. There you'll find our brand new mugs designed by Jamie Murray. Jamie was kind enough to create this design on his own and send it over to me, and I liked it so much, I knew exactly what I was going to do with it. So thank you, Jamie, for sending that in to us. A lot of you have already picked up on this, but the Patreon feed just got a whole lot better. I started playing regular calls on the feed simply because I have so many calls I'm never going to get through them all, so let's share as many as possible. So if you want to hear more shows like this one, almost exactly like this one, head on over to patreon.com and search for Monsters Among Us podcast. A $4 monthly pledge not only goes a long way to keep the lights on over here, but it also gets you at least two bonus episodes a month, the latest of which just dropped a couple days ago. Again, that's patreon.com and simply search Monsters Among Us podcast. And a huge, huge, huge thank you to the 30 or 40 so people that signed up over the past week. You guys, you're incredible. If you're in the L.A. area and attending the L.A. Comic Con, consider stopping by and watching the Paranormal Caught on Camera panel, of which I will be part of. This panel takes place at 5.30 p.m. on Saturday, so if you're there... I certainly hope to see you. Be sure to follow the show on social media. We have accounts on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And be sure to look for the Facebook group while you're at it. And lastly, this is a bit of a big announcement. I've already teased it on a couple Patreon episodes, but I think we're finally ready to let at least part of the cat out of the bag. Good friend of the show and good friend of mine, Blurry Photos' David Flora and I have teamed up to create a new documentary. And we're still in the writing phases of all this, but we're about to launch a Kickstarter sometime in either later October or early November. Now this documentary is going to focus on a strange area here in Southern California called the Anza Borrego State Park. Now this is California's largest state park, just covered with vast desert. But what's weird is they have all sorts of strange phenomenon going on over there. Ghost lights, haunted locations... UFOs, abductions, and even Sasquatch. So it's a bit of a paranormal hotspot that, to the best of our knowledge, has yet to be explored by paranormal researchers. So what we're going to do is spend a few weeks there, do some interviews, shoot some things, see if we can't get to the bottom of what might be going on. So keep your ears open for that Kickstarter campaign. I'm sure I'll be talking a lot about it when the time comes. 
And in the meantime, if you are from that area or have been to that area and experienced something strange, please send in your call or shoot me an email. And when you do so, be sure to mention Anza Borrego in the call so that I can be sure to find it quickly. And speaking of blurry photos, if you love the show as much as I do, why don't you head over to the show notes and click on the link that I've pasted in there. David is in the running for best podcast of Chicago, and I want to do my best to make sure that he wins. So head over to the show notes, and you'll find a link over there. And get this, there is no limit to how many times you can vote. So click away, and let's help David take away the hardware today. Oh, and one last thing. Tonight is Addie Lloyd's birthday. So I'd like to wish a huge, huge happy birthday to one of the hardest working people I know. Happy birthday, Addie. Thank you so much for all that you do. And on that note, speaking of Addie, our next call comes to us from the state of Wyoming. The following is Andy's call. Yeah, Derek, uh, this is Andy from Wyoming. Uh, first, I'd like to say between uh, the podcast and the show, definitely got me hooked. But I uh, wanted to call in and uh, tell this little story. Not really sure how to uh, classify it. Uh, which possession, I don't know. But... Uh, used to uh, live in this this apartment that I had had uh, a lot of heard a lot of noises, lots of people talking when there was nobody around um, just kind of thought it was a, a uh, normal thing I guess so uh, I used to always have either the TV uh, music uh, just anything that made noise on at all times to kind of drowned out some of the things I would hear. Um, so anyways, here, here's where the story ties. Um, Buddy and I went out shooting one day, uh, got back into town, decided uh, we were going uh, to go out and have a few drinks. So before we go out, uh, he gives me a call back and uh, says he's going to bring this girl with brings her by my place and says, hey, I gotta, I gotta go run and do something real quick. I'll be right back. Okay, so I'm sitting in my place with this, uh, this lady that I've never met before. She uh, begins to tell me she's a witch, uh, all this stuff. Yeah, whatever. Maybe you are, maybe you're not. Who am I to judge? But, so she asks me if she can do some sort of, I guess, palm reading. So I give her my hand. She goes ahead and looking at my hand, and all of a sudden she says, there's something going on. There's more going on here. It's, it's coming from the closet, which in the apartment was the only place that ever gave me the creeps. But um, she tells me that the only reason that I have the TV or music or anything on is to drown out their voices. I didn't really ask who, 
but I, I kind of knew what she was talking about, but I had never really told anybody that, so for her to know that was a little odd. So she asks me if she can get up and uh, go make a drink. I said, oh, yeah, sure. Kitchen's right over there, you know. This girl uh, goes in there, and she's mixing herself up a highball, and says, uh, man, I really like these knives. And I said, yeah, it's it's a new pocket knife I got. Well, she then says, no, I mean these. Let's out this blood-curdling scream and comes running, charging at me, this knife, like she's going to stab me. Well, I still had to... Uh, firearm or two out at that point. So I grabbed one of them, explained to her the uh, severity of the situation and (laughs) got her out of my place. So fast forward to about, uh, I want to say about two years later, the original incident was 2012, I'd say 2013. Um, So about two years later, a buddy and I go down to Utah, go to a concert, hanging out, we go hit this bar afterwards there's this little old man there asks me if I've got time to shoot a game of pool with him so I humor him and I'm shooting the game of pool with him and he asks me if I'll come outside and talk to him while he has a cigarette I said, oh yeah sure I've got nothing better to do so I'm outside talking to him and he's saying some off the wall stuff but nothing, nothing super out there until he tries to get me to take some sort of a little rock. I, I, I was anti-taking anything. And, I mean, eventually I did take it and tossed it in the bushes. But as I'm getting ready to leave, he puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, I've already spoke with her. And I, I looked at him because I, I didn't really know what he was talking about. And he looked at me and he said, no, you don't understand. I've already spoken with her and she knows that you still hear that. Thanks, Andy. That is wild. I've heard others tell similar stories and it's as if they have some sort of unknown connection with these strange individuals. Like they'd known each other in a former life, or maybe even future life. And I can't help but feel that stories like these toe the line between paranormal and mental illness. That certainly sounds like it could be a logical explanation for both of the odd characters Andy had run-ins with. And thank you again, Andy, for sharing. Maybe someone out there listening might have experienced something similar, maybe even with the same people. If you have experienced something and you'd like to share, simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or visit the website monstersamonguspodcast.com for more submission options. And that brings us to our final call of the evening. The following comes to us anonymously from the state of Illinois.
Hey, Derek, I just found out about your podcast. I've been listening to it for the past couple of weeks. And I want to remain anonymous on this one. I've had a few um, weird things happen to me, and I've still never really made sense of it. Okay, this happened around maybe 15 years, 15 or so years ago. I live in Chicago, and I'm a night owl, so I stay up all night. So what I usually do is I lay on the couch and watch TV. So it's normal for me to fall asleep on the couch, wake up, and, you know, just continue to watch TV or go upstairs in my room. So one morning, well, one night, I was asleep on the couch, and I just jolted up, woke up, and the TV turned off and turned on on its own. So I was like, okay, this is weird. So I grabbed the remote, turned it back on, and it turned off. And then I was like, okay, what's going on? Is it the cable? What's going on? The cable box? So I turned the TV on again, and it turned it back off. I'm like, wait, this is crazy. So I I got up, I turned all the lights on, because I was just trying to get up and get my bearings about me. And my older brother, who was living with us at the time, he ran downstairs like, did you hear that? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He was like, something just flew over the house. And I was like, what? He was like, you didn't hear that? And he, he opened up the, the front curtains. And it was like maybe 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. It was in the summertime. So he opened the curtains. And he was like, something was directly like over the house, flew over the house. And it was just, it was just a weird vibe in the house. And the thing about it was, we live like in the vicinity near an airport. So we know like airplanes, you know, flying over. So my brother was like, no, this wasn't an airplane. Something was literally over the house and it flew over. It's like I heard it. It was like directly over the house. So a few minutes later... My mother, she opened a door from her room because their bedroom is like, it's the living room, the dining room, and then it's her bedroom. And she opened the door. She was like, what's going on? We were like, what are you talking about? She was like, it's just a weird vibe in the air. What is going on? She was like, it's just weird. And then we were telling her what, what happened. And she was like, something like, I just don't, I just feel weird. I can't get back to sleep. And I felt the same way. It felt like some some kind of presence was in the house. It was just weird. And it just felt like the air was just like static it was like a static charge in the air it was just it was just just static electricity it was just re- a real heavy feeling and then after maybe about 30 minutes or so it subsided and this like i said now we still talk about it to this day we still can't make sense of it all and i just wanted to know like what happened like and like I said that's not the first experience i've had in this house i've had a few experiences that i can't explain and you know listening to your podcast just made me really start reliving these and thinking about these. And I just want to say, you know, keep up the good work. I love your podcast. I've been listening to it every single day on my way to work before I go to bed. You know, and I'm, I may call back again because I have a, have a few few more stories like this. Yeah, but it was just, just a weird vibe. All right, thanks, Derek. Have a good day. Thank you, caller. I might have conspiracy on the brain today, but your call reminded me of something infamous in the paranormal world. Now, you mentioned that the TV came on and off by itself. Then the mention of something strange flying over the home. And all of this took place in the city of Chicago. Now, those three elements, believe it or not, tell me something. It almost seems like we may be dealing with the Chicago Mothman. Now, the reason I say this is because this caller's story coincides with another story from the Point Pleasant area of West Virginia back in the 60s. Of course, I'm talking about Merle Partridge's encounter. The following excerpt was taken from the Mothman wiki page and details Merle's experience. Contractor Merle Partridge, or Newell Partridge as he's sometimes called, was watching television at his home one evening 
when he had an experience with a set of strange glowing red lights or eyes in his field. It was about 10.30 that night, and suddenly the TV blanked out. A real fine, herringbone pattern appeared on the television, and at the same time the set started loud, high-pitched whining noises. It sounded like a generator winding up. Partridge's dog was sitting on the end of the porch, howling down toward the hay barn. The dog's behavior that night was described as strange. He was acting up as if he saw something. Partridge grabbed his shotgun and walked out onto the porch. He saw moving, circular red lights in the distance. His dog, Bandit, ran off toward the field and disappeared, never to be seen again. The next day, when Merle went walking out to the barn to look for his dog, he found only paw prints. Here and there, I could see Bandit's paw prints. These were rather easy to find, for he was a heavy dog and the area was muddy, Partridge said. At the approximate position of where the red lights had been seen, he found the dog's track going around in circles, but not leading off to anywhere. There were no other tracks of any kind. He searched for his trusted companion for weeks following the sighting, but he never found his dog. There have been no explanations to this day for what exactly happened to the dog after it dashed out onto the field. Weeks after the incident, Partridge told friends and family that he would not be surprised if he were to find the dead body of Bandit nearby. Now I should add that one of the very first Mothman experiences, experiences by the Mallet family and the uh, Scarberry family, described a dead dog along the side of the road, a dog that matched the description of Bandit. Now of course I can't jump to the conclusion and say that what our caller experienced was in fact Mothman, but the TV was affected. They heard something flying above the home, and it's taking place in the new Mothman hotspot, the Chicagoland area. So take those facts for what they're worth. Am I jumping to conclusions, or is there perhaps something here? Thank you again, caller, for taking the time to share that story. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Addie Lloyd, Warren Ponabbott, and Tony Bell. And music for this episode was provided by Coag Music. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. the secret part of the show. This is the part where I play one last call for those people who stick around. And tonight's call was one that was played on the recent episode of Monsters Among Us Beyond number 21 from the Patreon feed. Now this story sort of ties in with the anonymous call we just received. But I'll let Etta in California explain that to you. 
Hi, this is Eva from California. It must have been, must have been 2011. I was in my room. Um, I, for some reason, we we're talking about spiritual warfare, and I was looking at. Uh, I had a book about how to route demons, and I'm, I'm I'm sitting up in my bed, leaning against the wall, and right behind me on the other side of my the wall, uh, my car is parked. It's a 73 Volkswagen Westphalia. And I heard the sound of giant, sound like giant wings, like you would expect from, say, a Mothman or gargoyle or something like that, um, size creature. And it landed on top of my bus, and I could hear um, my bus creak, creak under the weight. And I've had lots of people in there, and quite a few people who were overweight, at least maybe 400 pounds or so. And it didn't even make a sound when they they got in. So I know this thing had to be pretty heavy. I wanted to get up. I had my spiritual warfare book. I figured it was a demon. I wanted to get up, go see what it looked like, take a look at it. And, um, you know, maybe I could do some battle. But my personalities or whatever, I, for some reason I wasn't allowed to get up and move, to get out, of, to get out and go see it. I didn't get to see what it was. I didn't hear it fly off. I never considered it to be possibly a Mothman, and I did. But then in the last one, last episode I just listened to, or the process of listening to, uh, season five, episode eight, the guy mentions that it, he doesn't have any sound when he flies. So I'm not sure if it's a Mothman, gargoyle, or a demon. I don't know, um, a giant bird or, or what it was. I just know something landed on my car, and it was pretty big and pretty heavy. Maybe if, if it's not something that's going to bring bad things into my life, I'm hoping to be able to come across it again and see it and see what it looks like and what it was. So, yeah, thank you. Bye. Thank you, Etta. Now, I find both of these experiences to be very interesting for this reason. The previous call, the last call we ended the regular part of the show with, the anonymous submission, seemed to describe a Mothman encounter. Yet, they didn't mention the Mothman. And here we have Edda's call, that I'm not 100% sure describes the Mothman, and as far as I know, there have been no sightings of the creature in the state of California. Yet, she did not hesitate to claim that it was a Mothman experience. Now, by no means does that mean that either party is lying, or that I believe either story any less. But I thought it was important to note the difference in the way people see some of these sightings. So thank you again, Etta, for taking the time to share your story. And thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. Have a great night.